So here we have Kyle Rittenhouse taking the stand. We have the prosecution asking him questions, which, well, very much about his AR-15, as if they want to somehow make that the centerpiece of of their cross-examination. What is what is the firearm real really matter? Why why is that even a conversation? Now it's a conversation about the training that Rittenhouse had as an EMT. Clearly, you were not a member of the Antioch Fire Department, correct? I was a member of the cadet program, which was through the fire department. So you'd go out and fight fires. We can go on ride-alongs, but we can't go into burning buildings for liability reasons. You'd go out there and you'd save people from burning buildings? Not me personally. Because as a cadet, they would never let you anywhere near that, right? They wouldn't let any of the cadets go into an actual live fire. At the end of whatever this program is, you weren't actually going to be an official firefighter, were you? No, it's to help prepare you for the firefighter academy, firefighter EMT academy. And you weren't going to be an EMT at the end of this program either, were you? No. You know that to be an EMT, you have to be 18 and a high school graduate, correct? Uh... Depending on the state in Illinois, you can take a class at the college at 16 and you can have your EMT license by the age of 17. I wasn't in that class, but in Illinois you can. You never did any of that? No, I was online school. The night of August 25th, you're here in Kenosha, Wisconsin saying you're an EMT, correct? Yes. That was a lie? Yes. You were also telling people you were 18 or 19 years old. That was a lie, too, right? No, I didn't tell anybody my age that night. You never volunteered it at all, did you? I didn't. Because you knew as a 17-year-old you shouldn't have been there, right? No, I just didn't find it relevant to give my name. Well, I gave my name but my age to anybody. It just wasn't something that came up in conversation. It's because you felt if people found out how old you were, They'd realize you shouldn't have been there, right? No, it just because it didn't come up in conversation. If somebody would have asked, I would have been like, yeah, I'm 17. So now I don't know if this prosecution just wants to put into the jury's head that, oh, look at all the ways he shouldn't have been there. Look at all the things that happened. If he just wasn't there, none of this would have happened. This is all his fault. Tony Katz, great to be with you. Tony Katz today. Guy Relford joins us right now from the Relford Law Offices, R-E-L-F-O-R-D, RelfordLaw.com. He is also an expert on the Second Amendment. He is a Second Amendment lawyer. He hosts the Gun Guy Show on 93.1 FM WIBC and not only trains people in proper use of, of firearms, he is also seen regularly on uh, television across the country discussing the issues before we get to anything guy relford the key question here is why in the world is kyle rittenhouse on the stand the prosecution has done a miserable job they have failed on every level and this to a, to the observer is an open and shut case so your take on the case up until this moment and why is rittenhouse there Well, I'll tell you, Tony, it was a surprise to me um, that he took the stand today. But I can tell you exactly what the equation is, the balancing process that a defense lawyer goes through in making that decision. In a self-defense case, your your client, the defendant, is much more likely to be a necessary witness uh, for this reason. And that is the the defense of self-defense 
requires two things. It requires a subjective belief, that is, what is actually in your head, that force, in this case deadly force, is necessary to prevent serious bodily injury or death. So you have to actually have that subjective belief in your head. Secondly, that subjective belief belief has to be objectively reasonable. In other words, would a hypothetical reasonable person have had the same belief under the same circumstances? It's it's often difficult for a defense lawyer to be confident that the jury is going to know what was in his client's head unless the client tells them. Um, however, competing against that factor is that notwithstanding the fact that subjective belief in the mind of your client is very relevant, in fact, is critical in a self-defense case, the state still has the burden of proving beyond a reasonable doubt that a person did not act in self-defense. And here, the prosecution has been absolutely miserable uh, in its case in chief in disproving the claim of self-defense. Virtually every witness they put on on that issue actually fortified uh, the defense's position on self-defense. So going into the into the defendant's case in chief, I really felt like they were way ahead. The prosecutor had clearly not met its burden. So it is a surprise to me that Rittenhouse is on the stand. The only way you can justify it, and I, I won't put myself in the, in the shoes of these lawyers, is, is if they've done a, a lot of very extensive preparation with him and talking with him, and they're confident that the downside, that is, he's going to say something on cross-examination that dramatically hurts him and shifts the tide, um, the downside, um, does, in this case, is so minimal because they're confident in him as a witness that they're going for that positive side, which is to establish what his subjective beliefs were in the, in, 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 under the circumstances. And secondly, if he's a likable person, and even the more he's cross-examined, he just comes across as somebody that the, the, the jury wants to, to vote in favor of. Well, they also, I mean, the prosecution was able to get him to say that he lied on the stand yeah. about claiming to be an yeah. EMT when he's not an EMT. Now, I, I don't think that that is so germane to the idea of uh, having shot these people and the, the circumstances by which shooting these people. But it's clear from, from what we just heard, they're trying to set up the idea uh, that here is this guy who lied about being there and did everything he could to lie about being there because he wanted to hurt people. I assume that's what the prosecution's going for. Well, to some degree, but any time on cross-examination you can get a witness to admit that he or she lied, then that casts doubt on their credibility. Because why? They're alive. Ah, lost guy, Relford. We will try and get him back. But he's absolutely right. You have the opportunity to create a massive liability for yourself by going on the stand. And I would still argue that uh, Guy Relford's point, uh, RelfordLaw.com, is 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 taken. That you don't know what's in somebody's head unless they tell you. But the risk, I think, is too great. And this prosecutor, I will tell you, comes across as a comes across as a jerk. Now, Guy Relford, glad we got you back on. The 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 prosecution here, which has done a terrible job in this Rittenhouse case. Uh, in this case of Kyle Rittenhouse, the shootings that took place after the shooting of Jacob Blake by police, which I think was a an acceptable shooting. He did not listen to police. He had a knife in his hand. There were kids in the car. He was reaching into the car, a whole series of things. The prosecution has done a terrible job. 
And one of the things that the prosecution, I assume, has to worry about is how they are viewed to a jury because we're dealing with with humans and human emotions. And it doesn't seem to me like this prosecution and this prosecutor today comes across as somebody who is, uh, well, likable. So here is Rittenhouse taking the stand. We know what the risk is for Rittenhouse. What's the risk for the prosecution? Well, it's huge because... Um, just like a witness's credibility is, is critical, uh, certainly a defendant's credibility is if they take the stand, you know, as a lawyer, either the prosecution or defense, your credibility is, is key as well. And one thing I like to say in jury trials during opening statement is I like to say, I'm going to make a series of promises to you in this opening statement um, as to what the evidence will prove in this case. And I want you to hold me accountable for those promises. But I want you to listen to the state's promises that they make you in their opening statement and hold them accountable too. And, and in this situation, when the prosecution got up and said they were going to prove through this uh, FBI surveillance video, what happened, and that was going to disprove self-defense. It did just the opposite. When they said what their uh, witnesses, including the so-called victim, this Grosskreutz, what he was going to say was going to establish it was not self-defense. He did just the opposite. And a jury, whether they're, they're explicitly invited to by the defense counsel or otherwise, they hold counsel, including the prosecution, accountable for those promises when they don't deliver. And here, the prosecutors have a huge problem with that. And let me play this for you. This was uh, one of the things that we missed. This is the judge excoriating the the the, the, the prosecution. You need to account for this. Your Honor, I don't want to, I don't want to jury here. He's commenting on my client's right to remain silent. No, Your Honor, I am making the point that after hearing everything in the case, now he's tailoring his story to what has already been introduced. That the is- problem is, this is a grave constitutional violation for you to talk about the defendant's silence. And that is, and, and, the, and you're right, you're right on the, you're right on the borderline. And you may, you may be over, but uh, it better stop. You are a lawyer, Guy Relford. You have dealt with these cases. You have dealt with these juries in 60 seconds or less. You're in the jury and you hear the judge say that. What are you thinking? I'm thinking this is a guy who's losing his case. Uh, he cannot recover it based on the law or the evidence. And so now he wants to play outside the rules, and I'm going to hold him accountable for that. And and, and anything I might have been swayed uh, by uh, as far as what this attorney has said to me in the past uh, during this trial, I'm going to be more, much more likely to discount because he's just lost that much additional credibility. This risk may have paid off for, for Rittenhouse, but, man, they got to try and get him off the stand as quickly as possible so nothing bad does happen but this prosecution is a mess and we will get into another time how it is that we see so many prosecutors when they're finally pushed to actually having to do the job as opposed to bullying somebody into a conviction they fail this this has happened more than once and we will get in into it guy relford i appreciate you taking the run the, the time second amendment attorney a guy relford relfordlaw.com I have got more on this and this 
crazy vaccine mandate hysteria that just continues. Plus, uh, the, the Rittenhouse cases. I mean, I got to share it with you, right? And I'm going to. Keep it right here. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today.